Welcome along to another Know My Faith Monday podcast, and my guest today is Tony Nunez. Did I get that right? Nunez? Yeah, yeah. Emphasis is on the second syllable, but that's Nunez. all right. Nunez. Okay, so where does, the, where's the name come from? I want to know the name. Oh, it's a Mexican name. Yeah, um, well, I got my that. Dad, my dad, just uh, from Mexico. What does it mean? <laughs> Have no idea. No? Okay. <laughs> None. So you're from Mexico originally? My parents are. I, I'm a first-generation Mexican-American. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you are one of the pastors and leadership team at Fenton Park. Yeah, I'm the pastor uh, along with, uh, well, an elder, but I'm a staff elder there, um, lead pastor, if you will, at the, sh- at the um, Fenton Park Bible Church. Yeah, cool. Did you come to New Zealand just f- to pastor at the church, or you were here already? I um, No, I was trained and everything in America and served there, but then uh, just, I wanted to go somewhere where there was a, a great need for expositors, Bible expositors, preachers. Uh, I heard there was a great need in New Zealand. I was a bit up That's there. That's a shame on us, isn't it? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, this is what I heard. Gosh. <laughs> um, as I've been living here, I would have to say that that's, well, it seems to be true. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the whole reasons behind Know My Faith. Oh, fantastic. Is, is to, to, to get out what the Bible actually says. Mm, but what, yes, exactly. That's, that's my heart. And so, uh, yeah, um, my wife's a Kiwi, so they helped. Um, I was a little bit up there in years, and so to, to go to a new country, new language, whatever, it was just a bit too late for me to do that. So it yep. just seemed most naturally either Australia, New Zealand, uh, England or something. But uh, my wife being Kiwi just helped. Right, so she it. was your wife as a Kiwi before you came here. Yeah, we met. Uh, that's a wonderful, long, beautiful story. But essentially, God and his good providence brought us together, cross paths in America, and that led to... Uh, a long distance relationship and moved pretty quickly to yep. to marriage. Yeah, oh, pretty cool. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, you've just been do- doing a series, which is one of the reasons we we're, we're talking to you today. But we're going to just delve into the Bible. But you've just finished a series, or just finishing a series on Psalm thirty-seven, which is one of my favorite psalms of David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and 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 I think rightly so. It says itself that, you know, I was young and now I'm old. This is David writing in his latter years. Um, He sees it from the vantage point of a life full of faith and walking with the Lord, but also a life where he underwent tremendous mistreatment, you know, the famous one being King Saul and and how he went after him in in his youth, in his uh, young, late teens, early 20s, and perhaps. And and for a number of years, even up to 10 years, he was fleeing for his life from Saul. And and God intervened in amazing ways. And through that, he learned the principles that he then codified in this psalm. And it's so rich in so many levels. Yeah. So if you're watching or listening, you might want to grab your Bible, open it up to Psalm 37, because we're going to, going to be going through it, uh, not verse by verse, but we're going to delve deeply into it. He was quite the, I mean, obviously, he, I mean, he's the psalmist. Mm. Uh, not all the psalms written by David, but David is mm. the psalmist. Mm. Um, but there's a difference in his, you can tell in his latter psalms from, um, I think some of the early ones like Psalm 23, we know it's, it's just this heartfelt outpouring. But to me, some of the latter psalms, are, they're, they're extremely well crafted. Uh, psalm 37, as mm-hmm. you were saying to me the other day, is an acrostic. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays very much on uh, the word waiting wait and, 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 and have faith in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Psalm 119, also an acrostic, all about the law of God. 
uh, every every single section of that says exactly the same thing almost for 176 verses mm. without getting boring mm. and uses I think five different words f- for the law that, that, that you don't rip that off in a weekend this is mm. a lot of hard thought goes into mm. it mm. yeah uh, so uh, Psalm 37 is uh, what is called a wisdom psalm. And so where it would read, if you read it, it, it reads like the book of Proverbs. But the book of Proverbs uh, will have individual Proverbs, and they're pretty much scattered. There, there's some groupings here and there, yeah. a few together, but generally it's pretty haphazard. And um, But when it comes to a wisdom psalm, what's distinct about it is that although it's written like a proverb, um, the style, it's a bunch of individual proverbs that are strung together on the single theme. Yeah. And that single theme is how to respond righteously to when you are being wronged or when you're mistreated. And so that's why one of the themes that you picked up is that waiting on the Lord. We wait for Mm. God to intervene in his perfect divine justice so that we leave vengeance to him. And that frees us up to, uh, to then, uh, respond with grace and to do good even in the face of being mistreated. Yeah, and that's something that we just don't understand. We've talked about it before on this podcast is the um, the relationship between the Christian and suffering, uh, between the Christian and persecution, mm. and how we have just learned over the years to believe that that's a bad thing mm. when you go, actually, it may not necessarily be a bad thing. Mm. Suffering may not be a bit. In fact, oh my goodness, I think suffering might be a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, so what uh, what we're doing, and we're going to have one more in this series, and um, you can go to our website, fpbc.org.nz. FBBC? FPBC. Fenton Park Bible Church. FPBC.org.nz, and you can look at the Psalm 37 series. There's six. This will be the sixth coming up. Um, but what we're doing is, because the way this is written, it was intended originally that you read through it and contemplate it and you pick up the common themes, the common threads, and those then become principles. And so that's what we've done is I basically just summed up those principles into, in the spirit of the, an acrostic, an A, B, C, D, E principle. Oh, of course. (laughs) And the A is to, and this is exactly what you're saying, is to accept that, uh, being wronged or suffering wrong, uh, is part of God's good plan for you and for his glory. That's because such a huge thing. It's you know, massive. Why is this happening to me? And, mm-hmm. and my answer to people is, well, is, is God God? Yes. Could he have stopped it? Yes. Did he stop it? No. So he must have had a good reason for your good, because even though we take Jeremiah 29, 11 out of context all the time, mm-hmm. it's true. His plans for us are good. Mm-hmm. So if God loves me and God's plans for me are good and he let this happen, it must be for my good. Mm, Absolutely. Um, And you see throughout that psalm, you know, like how the wicked had bent their bow to strike down the needy. And there's these descriptions of them plotting evil, even carrying out their evil, and even prospering in their evil. He describes what was no doubt Saul so he says, I've seen someone like a native tree growing and being luxuriant, you know, like he's he's prospering. And he says, and then I looked, and he was no more. 
Yeah. I looked for him and he could not be found. God's justice did eventually come 10 years later. Yes, 10, 10 or 15 or however long it was. But how would he learn, how would we learn to wait upon the Lord and to entrust and commit, it's the word to commit, commit it to the Lord, is the idea of rolling it to him. Commit the situation to him. Yeah. And let vengeance belong to him, which is his place, not ours. Um, that's a discipline you can only learn in the context of suffering and mistreatment. You can't learn it from not doing that. If everything comes easily, you can't learn to wait. Mm. And David, the classic example, um, and I think so many people miss it in the, in the two incidents in David's life. He's in the cave uh, of Adullam with his Saul comes in. And he's got the opportunity to kill him. And the men, his men say, God, God's done this, David. You know, look, God said he's going to make you king, so he's given you this opportunity. And David goes, mm, no, that's not really the way God does it. And then the second time when Saul is in camp just before David flees off into Philistia to, to Gath and, and uh, he sneaks down to the camp. And I can't remember the name of the guy that he goes down with him. Yeah. But you know, his friend says, look, I'll just give me the spear. I'll just yeah. do it once. And David's going... No, listen, God said he'd make me king. That's his department. I will simply wait. Mm. Even with all the stuff going on in my life. And, and that's that's two of my favorite verses, as I said on the phone to you the other day. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 is, is delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass. Mm. Uh, you probably haven't been in New Zealand long enough, but we uh, we have a, a Kiwi model called Rachel Hunter, married to Rod Stewart. She used to do an advertisement for a shampoo, I think it was, and uh, it was like she said, "It was yeah, you know, the shampoo makes your hair nice, but I shouldn't be mentioning <laughs> this with you." Um, she goes, "It won't happen overnight, but it will happen." Yeah, yeah. and with David is saying that, okay, God said it would happen, so I just have to wait. Mm. Mm. Patiently, oh. yeah, oh, um. it's beautiful. Uh, actually, look at the different terms used that describe resting in Him, wait patiently for Him. It's translated different ways, different words in the Hebrew. There, one of them, particularly um, the one that you're re referring to, is one that has the idea of of attention. There's this twisting and turning, but in the midst of that, there's resolution because it's found in the person of God and His promises. Yeah, um, but it, it it does reflect the fact that. It's hard to wait on the Lord, um, and uh, and the tendency, of course, is when we're mistreated, is that we get angry, um, and it'll take different forms. And there's different words used to there: do not fret, do not be envious, uh, cease and forsake wrath, do not fret. These different words are talk describing different forms of anger, um, inward to outward anger, um, because our our natural tendency is to, when we perceive mistreatment is that we take the place of God. We want to put down our gavel of Injustice, and then we get yeah. angry. We justify our anger. Um, and what we need to, and the application take home of that is this. If we get angry, that means we're not trusting God. That means we haven't committed it to God. That means we're not waiting on the Lord. Yeah. And we're saying, God, I, I know you said vengeance is mine, I'll repay, but you're taking too long, so let me take over. You know? It's yeah. like you, you ever had like... Um, Someone, dear dear soul, might say, hey, let me help you with those dishes or let me help you with that task. And you say, oh, okay, thank you. And and, and you give them something to do and they, they fumble along and you realize they don't know what they're doing. I mean, they're well-meaning, but they yeah, don't know yeah, what they're yeah. doing. So what do you do? You're just saying, um, 
really appreciate you offering to help, but I think I'll just take it from here. You know, we yeah. sort of take it back because deep down inside we're thinking, oh, they really don't know what they're doing. And that's what we do with God. We commit it to God, maybe. We say, God, please take care of it. And we say, okay, um, it's been a day. Um, so that, yes, <laughs> what's yeah. up, God? So um, I think I'm just going to take it in my own hands because obviously you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But no one would ever say that, but that's Hab- what we're saying. <laughs> Habakkuk says, I think, is it at the uh, beginning of chapter 2 of Habakkuk where God says uh, the vision, wait for the vision, though it tarry, it will not tarry. It, in the, when you read it in the English and you go, well, that just makes no sense at all. But what it really means is though it takes a long time to arrive, that's the first tarry, it will not, when it, when it gets there, it's going to be quick. And you look at David He's at Ziklag, he's been with the Philistines, uh, they're going to attack Israel. The other Philistine kings say, no, we don't want David with us because he might turn on us. He goes back to Ziklag, finds Ziklag has been burned mm. with fire, the women and children have been stolen by the Amalekites. His men are going, listen, we've had enough, right? And they're ready to stone him. Two days later, he's king of Judah. Mm. After 10 or 15 years, whatever the length of time mm. is since he was anointed by Samuel, mm. it's taken more than a decade. So the, the vision has tarried, but when it comes, boom, mm. it comes fast. And we don't want that. We want it to come fast without tarrying. Mm. We want it now. Mm. Yeah, the microwave, we, microwave Christians, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Psalm 37 is, is almost a foil against that, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's really him looking back over those years and drawing out some life lessons for us. And they're so potent, so rich, so rich in this psalm. And yeah, um, uh, there's so many layers. Um, and, and it really, the way it's written d- demands or deserves that kind of attention because Every line is intentional. Every word is breathed out by God. But I mean, the way it's written and situated, uh, we mentioned, you know, being an acrostic. What that means is that each stanza, um, the first word of it in the Hebrew, begins with the next consecutive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, But on top of that, within that stanza, each line stands in relationship to the next line. And usually you have the first two lines that are parallel to one another, and then the second two lines are parallel with another. And then those two pairs are parallel with each other. So through that process, we learn, and it's a brilliant way the Hebrew thought is, because, and, and we need to know this because when we read our Bibles we need to understand what the writer is intending to say. And, yeah. and so often we take a phrase out of its context, and it's particularly detrimental when we do that to the Hebrew, especially wisdom literature and the, uh, the um, poet poetry of Hebrew, because one line often is in relation to another line and to, to give you a fuller picture. So like, for example... Uh, one I think that is common. I, well, you mentioned it, and I think that's probably a good one. Um, when it says, commit your way uh, to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. Um, now, that is only half of the stanza. Yeah. The, the stanza actually goes five and six. So those are intended to be together as one unit. Uh, that's the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Gimel. And so uh, the, some will take, uh, commit your way to the Lord, trust also him, and he will do it as a sort of like a, um, a blank check to with regards to my plans. 
Lord, I want to get that job. I'm going to commit it to you, and you're going to bring it about if I just believe. That's it. You know? And it's like, wait, did you keep reading? Look at the, how it goes on. What is, he will, what is it that he will do? He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. So the, the parallels show us what is it that we are to be committing to the Lord. Our situation, which in the context of the psalm, is our situation where we're being mistreated where someone is abusing us, uh, maybe they're using their power to take advantage of us, maybe they've lied and it cost us our job, maybe whatever it is, whatever unjust situation, I commit that to the Lord, I trust him to to deal with it, and he will deal with it. What? He'll bring your righteousness and judgment. That's when we read righteousness as New Testament Christians, we often assume imputed righteousness. And that's certainly part of the Hebrew idea right i mean abraham believed god has imputed him righteousness but this here in in context is referring to um our just cause that god will bring justice he will bring our judgment and as as light as the noonday is the idea it will be soon um, in the midst of the darkness of your unjust situation he will bring the light of justice and so it's basically a promise that if we in the midst of being mistreated we pray and we give it to god that prayer will be answered yeah and i love the way hebrew poetry does this because what it does and and a lot of people don't understand it because it doesn't rhyme we like our poetry to rhyme um what poems like this in the hebrew poetry does it's parallelism parallelism isn't it so so you say something one way and then you turn the sentence around back the other way you say exactly the same thing back the front with different words. It could be that way, yeah. To, to that's reinforce one way. what you're saying. That's and so right. you can remember it better. So with yeah. this one, it's it's commit your way to the Lord. So what's your way in this case? Well, my way is I feel very, very much that somebody's been uh, unjust towards me. Mm. Right? So commit that to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, trust in him and he will do it. And then the next verse starts with, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your judgment, what's your judgment? My judgment is that I've been wronged mm. as the noonday sun. So it's saying the same thing. Yeah, so, so that, uh, that verse 6 uh, would be, so there's different, there's about uh, 9 or 10 different uh, particular styles of uh, parallels. Um, this is, uh, verse 6 is what is called complementary, where the first line is stated and the second line will be complementary to it. It will be similar it will use similar terms, but the idea of that is you put them together to get a bigger picture. Yeah. And, and, and so righteousness and judgment are very similar ideas. Light and new day are very similar, but they give you a bigger picture because light has the idea of the start of the day, whereas the noonday is the when the sun is at the brightest. And so it's the idea that in the midst of that unjust situation, one day God will vindicate you and he will bring it to full light. You know, Job's the perfect example of that, right? Yeah. So misunderstood, accused of sinning against God. Um, even he was wondering, what's God doing? Yeah. But in the end, God made it clear, and what happened? God went to those three friends who weren't so friendly <laughs> and said, basically, you need to repent. You need to make yeah. things right. Um, you're going to be cursed unless you go make things right with Job and, and pray and so forth and offerings and and. And so full vindication came. Mm. The light of the noonday came, uh, and God restored everything to Job. Yeah, people talk about the patience of Job. It's not. It's the faith of Job. Mm. Job goes, I trust God. 
Mm. I have no idea why this is happening. And when you look at it, I mean, if you don't know God, you can look at it and you say, man, that is so unfair, mm. right? Why did all this stuff get dumped on Job so that God could teach Satan a lesson? I mean, Job gets to learn something in there. His three friends and, and, and young Eliphaz get to learn stuff as well. But basically, God's teaching Satan a lesson. And it yeah. is, it's like this, um, yeah, Naboth, Naboth, mm. right? Ahab comes to Naboth. He goes, sell me your vineyard. You know, I'll, I'll tell me how much you want for it, and I'll pay that, or give you a vineyard somewhere else. And Naboth goes, uh, "No, this is my inheritance, and so it's not right for me to sell it." So Jezebel has him killed, and I can imagine Naboth up there in heaven going to God, "Well, what was that?" And God goes, "Shh, shh, shh, shh. I just need to teach Ahab a lesson with your vineyard." Okay, yeah, but I'm dead. Oh, it's all about you all the time. Shush. Okay. You know, if you if you just you go, that seems so unjust. And we can think that if we haven't gone through anything on our own, trusting God all the way through it to see that that vindication at the end. Mm. You know, we we fail to see how it is our faith-filled, godly response to mistreatment that brings God most glory. Because that's where the difference is really seen in so many ways, right? Um, the world is filled with people who want their revenge and want their, you know, blood. Mm. Um, but Christians, when they turn the other cheek, when they pray for those who persecute them, do good to those who mistreat them, that's the way that Jesus said is the way of the kingdom, those that are really entering the sons of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, and, and God is accomplishing through that so many different things. The Job incident, like you mentioned, is is so multilayered. Yes, he's teaching Satan, but he's and he's also refining Job, and he's teaching the three friends and the Jews. But you know what? The whole book is what is called a theodicy. We're defending God against this notion, um, which was prevalent in the time. I, th I believe it was written by Job, mm. and so it was written during the, the, the patriarchal period. And, and we know what was prevalent in the pagan worldview in that time, which was very much what we see in those three friends. That if, you, if you've done something bad, if you haven't done your rituals in the right way, then you're going to suffer harm. And whereas that's some truth sometime, um, God, through this book, is showing us there's also another reason uh, sometimes that transcends yeah. any human comprehension and that the only resolution is trust. Yeah, we have to trust. Mm. We, do, you know the trust fall? You know, where, where, where you stand with your back to someone and you fall backwards and they, oh, and they yes, catch yes, you? Yes, you yes. Know? Um, I saw a great skit with this. I did it with my son and with my grandson in church uh, when I was pastoring in Caddy Caddy a few years ago. And uh, I was explaining faith and trust to the church, and I said to Daniel, I said, I said, come up here. And so D Daniel's twenty-one. He's he's got the holding genes, right? So <laughs> you know, he's not a skinny little thing. He's pretty solid. And I said, Daniel, do you remember the trust fall? And he goes, see ya, and walks off the stage. <laughs> so I call my grandson up, and I said, uh, I said, you know the trust fall? He goes, yep. So I said, all right, let's demonstrate it to the church. So he turns away from me. He, I think he was about nine at the time, uh, nine or ten. He falls back and I catch him. And uh, so I stood him up again and uh, stood in front of him. And I said, okay, turn around and face me and let's do it again. He starts falling towards me. I said, no, 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 no. You fall backwards and I'll catch you. Mm -hmm. Right? And he goes, see ya. And he's off the <laughs> stage. You know, but God says that to us. He says, you've, see, you, you've seen me catch you when you've been facing away from me. 
yeah, and you've fallen back into me. Now I want you to fall backwards while you're facing me, mm. and I'll catch you. Mm. How much do you trust me? Mm. You know, and and that's where he wants to get us to, to mm. the point where we go, yeah. Mm. I don't understand this. Um, you know, Proverbs three: Lean not on your own, own understanding. I don't mm. understand this, but I trust you. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, and, and I think um, when we look going back to the Psalm thirty-seven and and these principles that we um, learned, uh, I talked about the A principle uh, that you know that we accept that even um, suffering is part of God. God's good plan for us and for his glory. The B principle is to banish sinful anger from our options. That needs to be no longer an option for those who trust God, who know him, especially for us who are born again. The C is to commit the situation to God. The D is to depend fully on God's person and promises, uh, which is the massivest (laughs) uh, principle (laughs) in this psalm. I mean, it's like 50 sections of this or segments of this psalm reflect that. But then there's the E principle, which is to be in to endure in faithfulness to God and goodness toward others. And that's, that is, I think, one of the measures of where we are at in the spectrum of trust. You see, we can say, I trust God when I'm mistreated. Okay, did it connect to your life in such a way that you have res- chosen not to respond with sinful anger? I think that we we fail on the on the first base, yep. you know. Oh no! Come yeah. on, come on, Tony. Give us give us like give us half a day at least. Okay. To be angry and upset with what's been done to us, right? Let's see. But that very response is because we have to understand that anger, uh, in and of itself, is not sinful because God is angry with wicked all day. He's righteous. Yeah. Thing is, is our sinful nature takes that. God created image of God bearing uh, anger and twists it and turns it and makes it bends it on its head and we, we basically act like though we are God you know and that's the fundamental problem um, most of the time our anger is sinful you know the 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 sin, uh, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God as James one says so um but uh, but so when we see perceive mistreatment or injustice. That's what causes the ang- the feelings of emotion, uh, the emotions of anger. That's actually a good thing. It's kind of like um, if you touch something hot, and you know your your reaction yeah, is to pull yeah. away. If we didn't have that, those feelings of pain, we would be burning ourselves, cutting ourselves left, right, and center. That's the problem That's, with leprosy exactly. is you lose the lose the feeling. Exactly, yeah. um, and so so it's a beautiful thing. This this feeling of anger that because it's it's intended to be an emotion that drives us to resolve that. In a godly way, that's the thing is our flesh takes it and turns it around and says, mm. "No, I'm going to resolve it my way," and that's yeah. the problem. So the very moment we choose, in that moment of perception of injustice, and we choose to to take vengeance in our own heart, even if it doesn't come out in our words, if we say it in our heart, like, "Oh, I'm gonna, you know," we've lost the battle. We've already taken away from God what that which we should have committed to Him in the first place. So that's the first test: Are we even doing that? The second level is, okay, do I give it to God? Like, do I really give it to God and leave it with him and trust him? Yeah. Right? And that's good. If we get that far, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. where would we be if, as Christians if we were living like that? But the real test is if we've truly committed it to him and depending on him, are we able to overcome evil with good? And that's Romans 12, right? Uh, 
do not never take your own vengeance, uh, brethren, yeah. but leave place for wrath. Don't, in other words, it's God's place for, for vengeance, as is, as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He says, therefore, or he says, but instead of uh, taking revenge, if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. No, that doesn't work, God. Come on, how can that work? For so you'll keep burning coals yeah. of, uh, on his head. And it says, therefore, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, with good. good. Yeah. That's the real test. Am I trusting God to take care of that so much that it frees me up to then overcome evil with good? The problem is that we, because I've been offended, you know, so I've, it, it, it's, it's gone beyond that was an unrighteous bad thing that you did to I'm offended by the unrighteous bad thing that you mm. did. Um, and it's it's broken the relationship between us, mm. right? Um, Wayne Watson, the, the Christian singer from the 80s, uh, I did a trip to the Philippines with Wayne and a, and a few other uh, Christian radio announcers at the time. And uh, one of the guys, he said, he said, I remember... You were at, and I don't know if it was Creation Fest, but it was one of the big music festivals. And he said, he says, you were at Creation Fest, and it was about the time when Madonna had turned out like a virgin. He says, and you walked out on stage, and you stood there and you said, I don't want Madonna in my heaven. And everybody cheered. And you said, shame on me and shame on you. When I get upset with you for doing me wrong, I'm saying I don't want you in my heaven. Mm. And God says, I sent my son to die for Tony. Mm. So how come you don't want him in heaven? Because I want him in heaven. I've got to get over that, and I'm not going to get over that if I'm boiling and seething with righteous indignation and anger because of what you did to me or what you did to someone else. Mm. I have to trust in God and commit it to him. Mm. That's right. Yeah, and that's the, that's the strange thing about us um, and that's the folly of sin, right? It's the deceitfulness of sin that we think somehow that by us taking the reins of vengeance uh, from God, that we're able to steer that coach more effectively. And all <laughs> yeah. we're doing is just seething on the inside and then causing more problems. And yeah. That's what it says. Cease from anger. Uh, uh, where does it say that's that? That's verse seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it only leads to, it would only, um, it only leads to evil doing. And, and uh, Hebrew is just, it leads to bad. It's just bad. It's bad. I mean, that's, we've got to understand when, 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 the, when the Old Testament uses the word evil, it basically, it really just means bad stuff, yeah. bad things. It yeah. doesn't mean evil. You know, it's not like Stephen King and it and things mm -hmm. like that. It's just bad stuff. Yeah. It just, hap bad stuff happens. We just cause more problems. So yeah. like, and not why just we do it? And not just for the other person. Yeah, for ourselves. For ourselves. Absolutely. So there's, there's so much wisdom in this psalm. It's like, yeah, get rid. Anger doesn't help at all we gotta resolve it god's way give it to god leave it with him and what a relief yeah. now i know that doesn't like change our circumstance but see that's the other thing and um one of the things that comes out here in god's trusting in not only god's person but also his promises is there's the constant theme in here of the fact that he says that the righteous will inherit the land which, of course, to us, we think, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, as Gentiles, I guess, we, we kind of think, why is that at all anything to me? Um, but it's actually 
so much because that's basically the New Testament equivalent of entering the kingdom because God made a promise to Abraham, a land from the Wadi in Egypt to the Euphrates in the north, yep. a strip of land. It was an unconditional promise, and, uh, and he will fulfill that. Israel in their history have never uh, occupied the full land. It still waits the future, and as the latter prophets would say, they pointed to Messiah's kingdom to come, the new covenant that would change the heart of the nation of Israel, so causing them to walk in his ways, and then therefore they would be loyal to the Lord and therefore be able to enter the fullness of that promise, and they will inherit that land. And so that was their future hope. And and and, uh, and we read that and we think, oh, what's the deal? Well, here's the thing. It's basically another way for us to say entering the kingdom. Yeah. And there's a kingdom coming. It's a future hope. Now, why is that important? Well, in the midst of being mistreated, we're in a situation that is unfavorable, right? We've suffered loss. We've suffered harm, whether emotional, financial, physical, all kinds of things. But our life now is not the end-all, be-all, right? We wait for a kingdom. That's yeah. forever, yeah. you know, and and that's our hope, and, and so it's all it's going to do is cause us to appreciate all the more that future we hope that we have, and that's what we need to hold to because this side of the kingdom, we're not promised the health, wealth, and prosperity. Oh um, no! No, I'm sorry. Shock horror! <laughs> Goodness me! I, that's another subject. Yeah, it is. you know, it's like how, how people go to the Old Testament and they take the Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, the blessings and the cursings, and somehow apply only the blessings to the Christian and none of the curses and no. totally divorce it of its original Because intention. of mindset. I, at a uh, national conference uh, a number of years ago, there was a guy from Australia came in and he spoke, um, and I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but he took the church. The church had uh, three sections and two tiers in each section, and he did the whole life of Paul from memory, walking around the church. You know, he says, "You, you guys are uh, Corinth. Uh, you guys are Jerusalem. You're Rome. This is the great unwashed over here." And he goes and picks up Timothy there and does his travels. And where Paul talks in some of his letters about the responsibility of Gentiles. Because we have received our salvation through the Jews, the responsibility we have to give practically back to Israel and back to the Jewish people, he used the whole story of Paul to say we need to tithe to the church. And oh. I was sitting there going, "That's you know, the, for most of it, the, I was just amazed. I was blown away. And then he does that, and I'm going, oh, that, that's just disgusting. That's not what it's about. It's not about giving to the church and getting money back. It's, it's just, it's, it's an incorrect, but let's not go there. Uh, the Righteousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Righteousness. We talked about tarry before in uh, Habakkuk, you know, though the vision tarry it won't mm -hmm. tarry. It's, it's actually two different words. When we talk about righteousness, there's a misunderstanding between things we do and spiritual righteousness. Mm. The, the, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us because of his death on the cross. There's nothing that we could do to, to, to receive that out or to, to earn it ourselves. Mm. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. But there's other times when we talk about righteousness and righteous acts. Mm. That's something about the way we live. Mm. Yeah, you know, and th I'm glad you, br you bring that up because one of the, the most common ways of referring to Christians, not only in Psalm 37, but in the Old Testament, but especially in wisdom literature mm. like Proverbs and whatnot, is righteous. They're the righteous. The righteous. And 
Um, yes, we're imputed with the righteousness. Yes, there was the idea of imputation there in, uh, in the Old Testament, Abraham and so forth. But the stress in that term, in the Hebrew idea, is largely on the practical fruit of that faith. It, it embeds both the, the faith the, the of... The Hebrew fa- word faith includes doing something. That's right. So not, like, just, not just believing it's something. It's kind of like taking Paul, which, who stressed often justification by faith alone, uh, and, and then James, where he yeah. talks about how your faith need, you justify your the genuineness of your faith by your by works. works. Faith without and works putting them dead. together, yeah. that's the idea of the righteous in the Hebrew concept. Yeah. And and uh, it's a beautiful thing, and I think something that uh, I think is a little bit uh, foreign to us, I guess, maybe just there's a lot of stress of intellectual belief and um, you know believing certain facts about Jesus saying a prayer or something, and and then you're saved. Um, and that's not only a horribly deficient definition of faith, it it divorces, um, in, in effect, it divorce, divorces what Paul and the apostles and the Old Testament never divorced, and that is the link between justification and sanctification, that is being declared righteous by faith, and then at the very same moment, in the beginning, the process of becoming more like Christ. Yeah, um, you, you don't have justification without sanctification, and that's something the reformers really stressed and highlighted as well. That's so critical to understand. Uh, but we today in our Christianity is so so uh, anemic, um, and and I think it was a big that's thing. That's a good word. Yeah, it, it was a big thing in America. Um, the whole uh, free grace. Versus yep. uh, lordship, and that's how those were the terms, and I think a lot of Kiwis don't quite understand yep. that, and so they they take those who perhaps were advocating uh, lordship salvation and misunderstand because of the terminology sounds like works. I think it's um, you know it's, it's the hyper grace and all of that mm. sort of stuff. You could grab any of these um, wrong theologies, and you can put it down to me. You can put it down to a lack of knowledge of the scriptures mm. in their entirety. Mm. Um, Old Testament and New Testament Genesis to maps the whole lot reading it over and over and over again and then you go that obviously what you're saying obviously can't be the case I um, I mean I still get it now but I got it when I was pastoring people would be and you'll be getting it too I'm sure people that go oh have you seen so and so on YouTube you've got to watch him in oh. like 15 seconds you go nah mm. What did he say? Well, actually, I'm not quite sure, but it doesn't line up. Mm. Well, you need to listen to the whole message. Well, no, I don't. Mm. You know, um, the old story with the bank teller. You know, the bank tellers don't, they don't look at forgeries to figure out what a forgery is. They look at the real notes. So mm. as soon as they see a forgery, they go, nah, mm. it's fake. And this lack of knowledge of the Bible, I think, is what, fools so many Christians into believing these false messages that are out there. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, and it's sort of like a generational thing as well. Like it just keeps looping around Yeah, where you have um, there, you know, they're back way back where uh, some certain number of decades, what was it? Back in the early 1900s or whatever, when the whole that's liberal centuries now, there's not decades, bro, <laughs> yeah. that's centuries. Yeah. <laughs> But the, the whole rise of liberalism and the denial was the, with the with the in, uh, the coming of uh, Darwinian evolution yep. that was uh, merged with Christianity in the form of liberalism, which they denied this inspiration and historicity and all these things, the miracles of the Bible yep. and stuff like that. 
And, and so you had the fundamentalists against the liberals and all this, the fundamentalists saying, no, we believe the inspiration of Scripture, and the liberals are denying that, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, and there was generally a departure from the Scriptures uh, in its form of its inspiration. And um, then you had these fundamentalists who arose, and then you have things like, uh, like the Billy Graham Crusades and things like that where Scripture was, uh, was re was affirmed and preached and uh, evangelistically, and there was a lot of good stuff. But the next generation didn't carry on the same commitment to the scriptures, in a personally kind of thing, and so they just latched on to the phrases, the concepts, the sort yep. of the the little uh, idioms and things like that, but didn't have the real biblical depth. And so what happens is that generation passes on to the next, and now that next generation really is just open to what They have no clues. And that's sort of where we're at. Um, we have a lot of tritisms, you know, uh, traditions, ideas and concepts that they've picked up through these little phrases that are pretty hip or easy to say. Um, but then you ask them, have you actually read your whole Bible? Yeah. Like, how long have you been walking with the Lord? Oh, 30 years. Okay, have you read the entire Bible? Oh, no, because, you know, some of those prophets, and yeah. da, 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 he doesn't really resonate with me. It's like, That's right. And so it's a perfect storm. Right? We have, uh, generally speaking, a, a Christianity that gives lip service to the Bible but isn't committed to it, doesn't know it. And, and you have a plethora of voices online. And so you have all these erroneous voices in the in a context of people who don't know their Bibles and lack discernment, yes, and it's the perfect storm. And now you have this, and so like uh, we were going through a, a series on eldership, yep, biblical qualifications for elders, and how Titus one nine says you know they have to hold fast the 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 word of truth and um, and be able to refute those who contradict. That's a level of comprehension uh, that uh, is so critical. Um, that's more than just knowing a tradition. You need to know the scriptures and be able to refute those who contradict. And I was really sort of highlighting the importance of that, especially in our day. But I think the bar has been so lowered um, that they thought I was exceeding the bar, like make it higher than the scripture. And I'm just like, no. And and if anything, it needs to be emphasized all the more because... Exactly as you just said, we have people um, and had people who say, oh, how about this and this? And they're, oh, I'm listening to this guy on YouTube and that yeah. guy, da, da, da. And it's like, oh, man, where do we start? Like, we don't have the time to you go can, and You can get to the point yeah? where you say, okay, um, you believe in Jesus. What happens when you die, Tony? I go to heaven. Okay. Here's a Bible. Show me where it says that. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's only an intermediary um, state. You know, yeah, but it's like, show me, show me in the scriptures where what you believe is the case. I, I love, there was a video years ago, it was on creation, and there was, uh, there was uh, Ray Comfort, uh, Ken Ham, a uh, couple of others, you know, there were about six of them, their Trinity TV did it. And Ken Ham pulls out this little pocket Bible that he's got, and he said, you know, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Said, Why do we believe that? Because the Bible says so. And he goes, secular science tells us people don't rise from the dead, but we never question it. He says, we believe Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Why do we believe that? Because the scriptures say so. But secular science tells us that you know, virgins don't give birth. We believe when we read the book of Kings that uh, an axe head floated. Where do we get that? From the scriptures. You know, 
our faith comes from the scriptures. Our faith does not come from a, a, a TV preacher giving a motivational speech using three or four Bible verses. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our faith must come from our walk with the Lord, our knowledge of the Lord. And if, you know, if we go back again to Psalm 37, this psalm that David's written in his latter days of his knowledge of God from all those years. Mm. It's, it, you know, if, if my faith is not grounded in the Scriptures, it's, it's not grounded in anything. It's wishy-washy, mm. and it can be what Paul says. We can be blown around with the winds of doctrine here, there, and everywhere. Exactly. I mean, uh, that's, I think, our situation right now. We're, we're seeing exactly what Paul warned about in 2 Timothy 4, uh, where you know, people will turn away their ears from sound doctrine and heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. Um, they'll turn aside the myths. Um, yeah. People want stories. They want something that really reflects much of the worldly philosophy that's around them. And uh, but when you open up the scriptures and you say no, we're going to preach the text. We're going to preach the word. The content is the word, and all I'm doing is bringing out what's yeah. there, uh, and what God meant by what He said. Um, and some people just can't handle it. Yeah. And um, and that's been a very common theme. I've been in New Zealand since uh, who 2004. Four, I believe, and I've been a part of I think about seven or uh, seven or so churches, um, different things. Um, I came here to do church planting. We were part of some of that, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but it, it has been a pretty consistent effect that when I first start somewhere, um, you have people just can't will not handle it. They just no, don't want no, it. They no. don't want it, and I and I struggle to understand that because like. When I first heard expository preaching that preaches the text, something in me resonated like, like an oasis. Like I found an oasis in the midst of a desert. You know that yeah. that sense of like I know what I need. I need something more, but I just don't know what it is yet. And then you find it. You go, that's, oh, what, that's, it that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, it's the scriptures the way they're supposed to and be. And just being uh, seeing it in its in its original beauty. Yeah. And and its richness is. So thrilling. Yeah, and, and, and to me, and, and this is uh, one of the one of the tenets, I suppose, of know my faith is when we look at the historical and cultural setting and, and background to the scriptures. You go, oh, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have a guy called Scott Brown from Celebrate Messiah he used to come on my radio show every week, and and his brief was tell me what Paul what what Paul's readers understood him to mean when he wrote this. Mm. Or tell me what the disciples understood Jesus to to mean when he said this, because mm. as a twenty first century Gentile, I have no idea unless somebody explains it to me. You know, like the Ethiopian eunuch to, to Philip. Mm. I don't know what this is about. You know, I need mm. someone to explain to me in the historical cultural context what the prophet is mm. talking about. Yeah. And then you go, "Oh, that's so brilliant, God." Mm. And the glory goes back to him mm. because your eyes are lightened. But mm. you know, again, Paul says at a time when you should be feeding others solid meat, you still need to be bottle fed. Yeah, mm. mm. you, know, you. And it is sad people that have been in the church 30, 40 years, and they are spiritually immature because they refuse to dig into their Bibles. Mm. Yeah. I can say that now because I'm no longer pastoring. So I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that when you're pastoring. They don't like it. Mm, very true. 
Very true. Mm. What um, you've been, you've done five messages so far on Psalm thirty-seven. Mm. What sort of reaction have you had what, from the people in the church to the message? Well, I, I I'm very positive. Um, Probably the most positive. I've only been at Fenton Park Bible Church for well, about almost two years now. Yeah. So still relatively new. Uh, when I and whenever I've started somewhere new, even in New Zealand, like I'm coming from America, I had to adjust, and, and then um, in New Zealand, different churches. Even in those churches, I'd have to tweak, you know, how I yeah. pitch it, you know, the level and, and and based on their where they're at and stuff like that. And so, usually, it takes a good long time to do that. Uh, a year or so, I usually try to give myself. Um, people don't tend to give you that long, but um, it's just that you, it's hard to get the feedback you yeah. really need to know if if it's really pitched right. But um, uh, so I, I did start, to, I thought I was a bit lower than the, what I would think, you know, to make it accessible, but um, it was probably a bit higher. And I think initially um, some of the people were just like, oh, no, and they kind of decided and, and decided to leave and and, um, and and sometimes not in a nice way. But um, but so the people that are now there and have stayed at the church, they, they're there for because they want the word. And so I think we have a, just a different climate there where they really love the word. And that combined with, I think, the very practicality of this song um, and that we're able to go through it and um, extract from it its common themes and it brings us, we see these themes yeah. throughout the song. I think all that combined with, um, with me also kind of sort of tweaking it too, just to kind of bring it to their level. I, it, it's just been overwhelmingly positive. It's just been real a lot. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it is a it's a hard job bringing somebody from from a yeah. And personal trainers have to do this in the gym. You know, the guy turns up looking like me. He's, he's overweight and he goes, "I want to be fit and strong. I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger." Yeah. The trainer's going, "Oh heck, um, how do we do this?" You know, knowing that. The ability to do that is in there. The ability to do the exercises, the ability to to to, to lose the weight, to 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 you know freshen up, it, it's there. But I have to push this guy just hard enough for him to to do it, but not so hard that he you know gives up and quits. Mm-hmm. And it's that's so difficult. Again, going back to what Paul was saying about meat and, and mm. milk, it's you know we like the milk. We don't like the the meat's kind of tough sometimes and. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think of the barbecue last night when I'm cooking steak and a little bit overcooked, you know, and we can do that with our sermons too, can't we? We can, mm. we can do a little bit overcooked, but there's still that responsibility to, for those of us that teach, to teach in such a way that people grow in Christ so that they can do what Christ created them to do. And, and mm. I find that's to me, is the saddest part of the church today. Um, and I think I was saying to Libby before, um, we expect to hear the words well done good and faithful servant because what's the opposite the opposite is depart from me you workers of iniquity mm-hmm. if I'm going to hear well done good and faithful servant polishing a pew with my backside is not one of the mm-hmm. jobs that I'm given to do mm-hmm. you know uh, Ephesians 2 I'm, I'm created we are his workmanship created in him for good works which he prepared us to do what is it you're being faithful at that God, when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, what was it you were faithful at? Mm. Yeah, like if, if it's been uh, reduced down to just mere attendance and their attendance isn't all that consistent, yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. what hope do they have? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, do, I was speaking in a church in Matamata um, last Sunday 
And one of the ladies there, the, the pastor says to me, Pastor Mata, he says, he says, every time we have a meal, uh, she just brings all this food. She's got people in her house all the time. And I'm going, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. Obviously, she's got this wonderful gift of hospitality over and above what most of us are, are given or asked of. And she is using it faithfully. Mm. She's going to get it. You know, is she standing up there uh, preaching to people in the street? No. Mm. But she's using the gift the talent she was given. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful thing when the body actually gets that and understands that we're a body and that we're called to serve the Lord. Yeah. And um, one of the things that uh, I was quite, have been quite very encouraged about at Finda Park is um, we sort of just did an analysis of the church and where we're at and how, how many are involved and da-da-da. You know the typical statistic, what is it like uh, – 10% do, or 20%. Oh, 80, 20. Yeah. 20% yeah, yeah, of the people yeah. do 80% of yeah, the work. Exactly. Well, and and it, the other 80 complain about the work that the 20 do. Yeah. yeah. Praise God, we figured it was it was about 50% of our church are, are serving faithfully and regularly. Yeah, we need awesome. about people to serve at least twice a month to just to sustain ministry. I was really encouraged by that. Um, I, I'm just praying for the uh, the rest 50%. <laughs> and some of them are physically unable, but they Who they was it said one ways. time? Was it was it Tozer or someone like that? You know, somebody said, you know, how many in your church are active? He goes, well, all of them. 50% are active for the Lord, and the other 50% are active for the devil. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. We I, wouldn't say that about Fenton Park. No. <laughs> so I'm encouraged about what the Lord's doing yeah. there. But um, one thing that I think uh, we were talking about, like the uh, – this psalm and, and just how people receiving the word and how they are what they're what we're talking about really is what does what do people expect from a sermon and one of the things uh, what in my time here in New Zealand um, I had about a seven-year stint where I was teaching at the Shepherd's Bible College yep. um, and I loved that there and one of the things that would often occur is we would get quality people ready because I mean just for them to go there the time and the money and da 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 they already were very so stellar Christians, yep. but they would still have uh, a kind of Christianity that I would describe as, um, and this is quite common, it, it, basically at a very fundamental level, instead of being objectively based in their Christianity, they were subjectively. Now, what did I mean by that is the very subtle but fundamental difference between saying, what does the text mean by what it says, and then how should that dictate how the way I live? You know, how should that govern the way I live? That's objective. Yes. Subjective is what does the text mean to me? Or what? How do I feel? What do I feel? God, what do I feel? God is telling me. What do I feel? God wants yeah. me to do. Very subjective. Very feelings based. And uh, my my observations is generally speaking, the the common theology here is a subjective theology. It's what God is what I feel, what I think, and my feelings. And, and so what happens is, is the moment we're subjective, then um, what, when it comes to a sermon, what's my expectation? Uh, it's to, well, ma make it interesting to me, yeah. Pastor. I want to laugh a little bit um, and certainly keep it short. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, it, it's very emotion-based, experience-based, but... When someone's objectively oriented, what do they come to the sermon as? Preacher, you know what? It's nice to get the illustrations and the stories, and if you're funny, that's a bonus, but tell me what this text means by what it says. Yeah. We pay you to study, to show yourself approved, right? You do the work and bless us with the result of that. 
man, that's a totally different expectation, isn't it? And the moment uh, I would see that, I would just call it, I call it the flip. It's just a little flip of the switch, you know, from a object to subjective. The moment I saw that in the students at Shippers Bubble College, all of a sudden they grew by leaps and bounds. It's subjective to objective. Sorry, sorry, yep, you're right. Otherwise we're going to have trouble. (laughs) I was inverted there. Um, and, And, yeah, the moment that happened, it's just they start growing and all their questions start changing. You know, like they want to understand what does the text mean by what it says? How does that live out? How do I? And it was amazing to see. And so for, since then, I've been sort of looking for that in the congregation. Yeah. Because I, I know that's so fundamental. And I think that's, if there's one thing I would really like to encourage all the Christians in New Zealand to do is to examine themselves at that very fundamental level. What is your bottom line basic expectation to sermons which are going to reveal what your orientation is is it subjective or is it objective yeah tony it's been great it's been a very very quick hour thank you so much for coming in it's been an hour already (laughs) yeah yeah um so we're going to put the uh the details of fenton park bible uh church uh, underneath um if you wait till uh actually by the time this airs um, they'll all be up there. That's right. Yeah. Um, on the website, so you can go and check those out, and we'll have to get you in again. That'd be fantastic. Can I put a little short plug into something? We can. No, you got like eight seconds. Okay, eight yeah. seconds. We're starting a new uh, a men's leadership training that teaches in the fundamental skills to how to lead in the home and in the church. We're calling it Equip, and uh, it's something to to consider. We're talking about these very principles of how to handle the Bible. So excellent, yeah. Equip, and that's Equip. on the website. It will be on the website. It will be on the website. Just starting. Yeah. Down there. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you.